with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 6. And if you guys would pull up our uh, lectionary reading for John, and this will be the RSV, so it won't match your ESV here, so you'll need to read it off the screen. We do have that, right? Good? Okay, excellent. Well, this is my first time ever to go this long without preaching. So I don't know what that means. Uh, it might be a good one, it might be a bad one, it might be a long one, it might be a short one, you know. Uh, I did listen to 14 sermons yesterday. All of the sermons over the summer that were preached here, I listened to them all yesterday. I'm pretty proud of that. Well, I think it was yesterday. It was difficult because we left at night and arrived in the morning and didn't get much sleep. But I did accomplish listening to all of them. And I just want to say a word of thank you, even on our podcast here as we're rolling, um, to, to Pastor Bruce, of course. He had the bulk of uh, preaching responsibility, but also pastoral responsibility. Uh, but also Justin, uh, he preached for us as well. Excellent sermon. And also Gerald last week, which was a great sermon. I listened to that um, late last night. And so I just want to thank those brothers for uh, filling in in that way. And you had two uh, what we call lay preachers as well within that. And so, oh, and Dr. Oswald as well. He preached, uh, he preached uh, as, as also right after our annual meeting. So just want to give a thanks to them and uh, turn our attention now to this gospel reading of John chapter 6. And so go ahead and read this with me. So when the... You can get, yeah, let's all just read it together. And actually, let's stand. This is our gospel reading, which we always stand for. So let's all stand in honor of, of God's word here. Hang on, is that... So when the... That's not where mine starts. Let me read this first part, and then you join in. I'll, I'll let you know when to join in, okay? Uh, and, and what I think it was, just to be fair uh, to, to who did the slides, is it actually backs up to 22 in the lectionary reading, even though it says 24. It's an RSV translation issue. But on the next day, hear these words. This is the word of God. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. A uh, little, little context real quick. Jesus had just multiplied the bread and fed 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. So lots of people. And now they had hung around that night, but he's not there. All right, so he's on the other side. That there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. So that's a scratch of the head moment. But that his disciples had gone away alone. And you'll remember that what happened was Jesus walked on the water which was one of the miracles here in, this, in chapter 6. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Eucharisto in Greek, which is Eucharist. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, oh, y'all are they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea... They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who has sent. 
So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus, thank you for your word. We are thankful. We are giving thanks. Eucharisto, just as you gave thanks. So now, multiply what you want to teach us today from your word and through the preaching of your word. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, I, uh, I've always loved being able to do these lectionary readings the way we do our service in these liturgical forms. We experience other churches that did the same thing as we do here, but in different ways. For instance, the Orthodox Church, they sang the entire service. So they chanted slash sang everything that we just did, which is kind of even the reading of word. So even the reading of God's word is chanted in this way, it's sung. So it's kind of a, a neat experience. And so everybody kind of does it a little bit differently. But we want our services to be focused on the word of God. And this is a remarkable word. <laughs> uh, this is a fascinating chapter of the Bible. One that continues to challenge careful readers of this, uh, this passage here particularly. Um, over and over again. And we must be careful readers of the word. We're called to be attentive to every word of God. And so when we read, we're not just sort of cruising through just to get five chapters in. And, 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 and I want to just challenge you right up front, applicationally here, with this challenge. Would you join me over the next, uh, what is it, four weeks, I guess, yeah, four weeks of reading John chapter 6 daily? So it's just kind of a challenge, like, hey, read it daily. It's a long chapter. It's a little bit long. But I'm saying if you give yourself to this chapter, I think the Lord will give himself to you in ways that are remarkable, that are marvelous. And so we believe that the word of God is absolutely trustworthy. It's inerrant in all of its original form of what it has to say about God and infallible about the truth that it gives to us. And we have been entrusted with this word, which is why on a Sunday when it's time to gather at the Lord's house, we make it a point to read his word because we gather and worship around what he has revealed, not just preference. It's not just, oh, yeah, I wanted to do this, so we added that in. No, everything that we've been trying to do, and we've tweaked it over the years, you know. Some of you have been with us a long time, back there 13 years ago, you know. At the men's breakfast, for instance. We, we've changed up some stuff as we've learned together. And I love that. I, I think that's what the Lord would have for us is we do things intentionally and on purpose. And so this word here obviously is about the bread of life 
Jesus Christ. Which, of course, we have represented symbolically every week, but on the first Sunday of every month, we partake of. And so, John, you'll remember, is more theological than the other gospel uh, writers, what we call the synoptic gospels, which are just to say the uh, similar gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't as educated. It means that their style of writing was more driven by narrative than theology, whereas John's is more driven by theology than it is just narrative. In other words, he doesn't, he's not concerned with the sequence of events as much as the other authors are. You know, when you tell stories sometimes, you do that same thing. Sometimes it's about chronology. Other times it's more important to talk about certain events, even out of chronology, in order to get to where you're wanting to go. John's doing this. Now, in John being theological in his writings, he's being symbolic. He's being what we call mystical or even sacramental, or we could say metaphorical. All of those words describe what is is happening here in chapter 6, but also in other places in his book. But we're obviously landing here in chapter 6. And and, and, and so he'll say things like, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And of course, for Christians, like we get that, most of us at least. Like we're down with that because... We're thinking Holy Communion. But for someone that wasn't versed in theology, because that's doing theology, as soon as you make that, oh, yeah, he's meaning in this meal, right, this Last Supper, this Eucharist, the Holy Communion that we partake of, there is, he's obviously meaning that, because if he meant literally drink the blood that flowed out of his veins, well, we'd be out of luck. He only has so much, truly. And although it was spilled out and redemptive for our purposes, it's not passed around in that way. So we, we, we you follow me? We, we, we make that connection and that jump. But sometimes we take it for granted, and I want to just point it out that John is being symbolical in this, <clears throat> excuse me, in this way uh, concerning what he's going to say and, and chapter 6 is full of this. And we have to understand that the, really in the ancient Near East, in the Old Testament, that's the context of the Old Testament, and in the Greco-Roman world, very symbolic stuff. Everybody's symbolic. You know, movies do this too, don't they? You know, all of a sudden, if, if there's a guy and a gal and they're, they're at a coffee shop, well, it's already prepping the scene, isn't it? If all of a sudden things start turning dark and gloomy... And, and the and the you know music is getting dun, 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 darker and more subtle. It, these are things that symbolically mean something to us, all right. And so I'm just saying this is a way of writing that we're familiar with, really. But when we come to texts like this, like ah, oh, I don't really know what he's talking about. I mean, you know. And it's also good to know that some things are symbolic, but other things here he's meaning to actually do them. It's not just wishful thinking. And so we want to begin to explore, so to speak, pull up to the table of John chapter 6 and learn from it. Our our lectionary readings actually have five readings. Get this. 
last Sunday, the gospel reading, which I wasn't here for, but you did, and that is John 6. Now for the next four Sundays, it's going to be John, we're, we're stuck in John 6. So I'm saying, if we're stuck there, we might as well read it also devotionally and ask the Lord, hey, would you teach me from this word? Like, it's deep. I, I need your help. I want to read it alongside even the Old Testament where we get the foundation for the symbols that are used. That's, that's kind of our, our textbook, if you will, um, to look up, okay, there's water. What, how does water operate in the, in the Old Testament? How does bread, how does wine, how do these common elements of our world, how are they made holy? How are they made significant for us? And so, I guess what I think I'm calling this uh, series, this brief kind of four-part series on John 6, is Table Talk. And I think that'll become clear as we, we move through. So, when you walk in a room, the room should tell you something. This is why... You know, you clean up before <laughs> you clean up before guests come over, right? Or at least you try to. You know, Jessica hates it when I'm just like, "Hey, so and so is going to be here in five minutes." She's like, "Really?" You know, because you want it to look right, ordered, and you want the room to tell you something. When you go to a conference, event planners know this. They set up the room to tell you something: where to sit, where to go, where the exits are, where you should eat food, where you shouldn't, where the speaker's going to be. To have disorganization tells you nothing. In our room here, Pastor Bruce and I have tried to, even in the recent reconstruction of things, decorate in such a way as to point to what matters. As to highlight for you and tell you subtle things without telling you. So we may often not point it out. But today I am going to point it out because this text is about the bread of life. Which bread is common as dirt. It was in the ancient world. It is today. I mean, you go to, I've been to Haiti. They've got bread. And their food is super cheap. You know, it's the poorest uh, nation in the Western Hemisphere. India, plenty of bread. Like bread's the one thing we have. Notice that Jesus is not the stake of eternal life. He's not the Wagyu of eternal life. Um, He's not the halibut, you know, like I had in Alaska of eternal life. Because that's not accessible to everybody. Instead, he chooses bread to identify with. Which is something even the poorest have. At least access to. And we give out. And so, this idea of bread and a meal, does it not... It's like overtones from the Old Testament. You know, it's like all of a sudden you're, you're, they're meant, he's he's trying to show you something and grab back at something from the beginning. And and if you, have you ever noticed how much food is mentioned in the Bible? Who's ever read the Pentateuch about the sacrifices, all the various food and dietary regulations and But backing up further than that, even Adam and Eve. The first sin wasn't murder or adultery. It was they ate the wrong thing. Eating matters to God. 
And when Jesus comes in the flesh, he eats and drinks, doesn't he? He's even accused of eating and drinking too much. And we're told in Revelation at the end, what will we be doing? Floating on clouds, just playing a harp without a stomach? No. Apparently we have a stomach because we get to eat. The marriage supper of the Lamb, we're all around the what? Table. So from Genesis to Revelation, there's an idea that a table has been set up for us and there's right things to eat and there's wrong things to eat. There's right things to put in our body and wrong things to put in our body. And the Lord outlines this. The fall of mankind happens at this very point of what we might call liturgy, which liturgy is just a term that means the work of the people. It's two words smashed together, the work of the people. So when we say we're liturgical, we just simply mean our people work. In other words, when you come to a service, a worship service, you're going to work. You're going to have to stand. You're going to have to sit. You're going to have to sing. You're going to have to recite. You're going to have to close your eyes. You might have to raise your hands at a certain point here in just a little bit. You might have to kneel down at another point. You might have to be silent. You see all this up and down. It's like a dance. It's a choreographed liturgy. It's the work of the people. In other words, we're not wanting you to come in here. Like we don't want the room set up in such a way as you come in here just to sit back and relax, have your kids scoot off to a different place and enjoy yourself. That's not the point of worship, is it? Unless I've read something wrong throughout the scriptures because the people of God, when they used to come to the temple or the tabernacle before that, they had to work. Getting that lamb there. Cutting up pieces of a pigeon. There were things to do. Worship is about doing. Our faith is a faith that does things, isn't it? We're not just, we're not just heads. If we were just heads, then yeah, we would only have a lectern right here in the front because what I say is what matters most here today. That's not how we have it set up, is it? You can say no. It's okay to talk a little bit, you know. No. What's at the center? Now, now look, we didn't think this up on our own. <laughs> this is actually the oldest way to set up a church is to have the table of the Lord, which in the Old Testament is simply called the altar. And even in Christian theology and different traditions, this is called the altar. Those are not the altars. Those are kneelers. This is the altar. This is the table. And we pull up to it. <laughs> so you've come in and pulled up to this table today, and you're about to partake of what's on this table. Just a few minutes. You see, our faith is not just spiritual. It's physical also. Because you are not just physical or not just spiritual. You're both. So we have the table right here in the center to point to Christ and what he's done because this meal both points back to his sacrifice and forward to our redemption. Back to his resurrection and forward to our resurrection. In other words, eat this bread because this is the bread of eternal life. This is food that lasts. Don't work for food that doesn't last. No, 
this is what you eat. Now, maybe you don't think of coming to church as, as coming to a table, coming to eat. And that's why I say we don't always point it out, but maybe we should. We have a pulpit. And I don't want to teach about everything we have on here today, but we have a pulpit. This is for preaching. We have a lectern, which is for reading. They're both on the side. Because the main issue today is whether or not Christ is in you. Because you can hear the word of God and leave here without God. We don't want that. So we're always keep. That's why I sit over here. You know, just another, another little thing here. The chairs used to be over here, and then I changed them back over here because I want to point to the table. It's not about me. We all work to worship. So even though I prepare for worship, you should prepare for worship. You should prepare your children for worship. This is the way it works. All right, well, enough of that. Jesus here multiplies bread. That's the miracle. And if you have ever studied the Gospel of John, which I'm hoping some of you have, if not, you should. John's just wonderful. It's where actually a lot of new Christians were told, you know, hey, start at the Gospel of John. I'm thinking, man, that's like the deepest book we've got in the New Testament, to be honest with you. Truly. But it is a great place. Because John is written in such a way that a child can understand it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We quote this. Children understand that. And yet there's depths that we still can't fathom. There's mysteries of our faith that we don't just understand but are meant to worship. There comes a point when our understanding will, will fail us, right? That's when we worship. You're a greater God than I am. I don't want to be God of my life. I want you to be God. And so John organizes his book, and many of you know this, by seven signs. So of all the different miracles that Jesus does, John picks seven. And that's, of course, a symbolic number too, isn't it? You know, you, you know that, right? So it's like a week is seven. So the number seven is completeness. It's perfect because it's the whole week. It's not half. It's not... Three-fourths, it's the whole thing, right? So it's perfect. So he's using seven signs. He has seven I am statements. This is one of them, isn't it? And in fact, this is the first I am statement that you come to in the book. So the first thing he comes to is, I am the bread of life. Now we'll save recounting all of the seven I am statements, but... This is also the fourth sign in the book. It's the fourth miracle in the book. Now, now what's a sign? A sign points to something, doesn't it? So, you know, it's maybe elementary for you, but bathroom, men's bathroom. Well, that's not the actual bathroom where the sign is. Everybody with me? It's not where you do that. The sign points to something, doesn't it? You're entering Madison. Well, the sign comes before Madison, doesn't it? You see it? 
and it's pointing to Madison. The sign is not Madison. You see how this works? So the idea is God gives us signs, sacraments, and they are to point to a reality. Just because you eat or are baptized, that water, that act itself doesn't save because only God can save. You see? But these are important signs that are guarded in the Bible and guarded in church tradition for 2,000 years now. Water has been used as initiation into the community of God. You are in covenant with God. So all of the baptized are welcome to partake of what is on this table. And what's on this table but bread and the fruit of the vine. Wine, as we would symbolically mean it to be. Because bread, although common to all, wine is not. Wine is for feasting. And so wine for us, this grape juice for us, represents the feast of Christ. The feast of our salvation and the feast that one day we'll celebrate. And so this is the, uh, the, this multiplying of the fish and loaves. And you, and you remember how it happens, right? Jesus asked his disciples, what are we going to do about all this? There's a lot of people here. Now, that's an interesting thing to say for God to say, isn't it? What are we going to do here? You know, I mean, I, well, you're God. I thought you'd... Here's the thing about God. He likes to involve us. You ever notice that? Like, he could do stuff himself, just by himself. But he actually loves to involve us. So, so he actually asks in the text, he's like, uh, who's he turned to? Uh, what's his name? Not Andrew. Yeah, maybe it's Andrew. He turns to... Well, I want to just look it up. <laughs> yeah, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Um, okay, so first he turns to Philip. He goes, Philip, what are we going to do, man? Philip's like, look, even if we had 200 denarii, which is 200 days of wages, all right? He's like, we, there's no way we can feed all these people. And that's if we got them little Caesars, you know, just one slice each. <laughs> so I don't know how we're going to do this because we don't even have that money. Then Andrew, with a little bit more faith, says, well, yeah, I mean, there's a kid over here. He's got two fish, five loaves. And, I mean, what is that to all these people? And then that's when Jesus says, all right, hand it over, buddy. Let me show you guys something. And I think this is interesting because here's two apostles of our faith. Two guys who who we trust what they've said and even read about their lives and base ours on the, the teachings of Jesus from them. And they don't have the faith that this little boy has to offer up his lunch. Now, I imagine his mommy packed his lunch. And here he has it, and all these 5,000 men, right? you can think of 5,000 hungry men, and then you've got all the women and children. Remember, there's no contraceptives. So to see our family of five is like, they're weak. There's a lot of people here. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. Don't we see something here? John's wanting us to hear the last supper where he takes the bread and he breaks it. 
and then what? Multiplies it. And you're fed. This wouldn't have happened without the faith of a little child. We must not discount the faith of our children here at Harvest Point. Jesus, in fact, says, look, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Do not hinder them. His strongest words are to those who would hinder little children from coming to him. Which is why the table is open to children. Because we think the table of the Lord is always open to his little children. What do you have in your hand today? What is it that you would say, well, I mean, I've only got this. It's not that much. That Jesus would say, oh, that's it. Bring it on over here. You see, I'm sure other people packed lunches that day. But no one was willing to try to share with 5,000 hungry men. It's like, no, I need to, I got my family here. I got to have my slice, I, got, I need two pieces of pizza, you know, at least, which is what I typically look for. No, this little boy, he offers up what he has. What he has is just a little bit, and Jesus multiplies it. And this story finds itself in all four of the Gospels. It's the only miracle besides the resurrection itself of Jesus that finds its way into all four Gospels. It's that important based on the faith, I think, of a little child. So if you say, well, I don't really have a whole lot, a lot of gifts to offer. If you even have half a gift, you must give it to God. How do you do that? You use it in his church. That's what gifts are for. It's for the building up of the church. It's not for you to keep and say, oh, this is cool. I can teach or I can do that. No, no. Teaching is meant for sharing. Hospitality is meant for sharing. The table is meant for sharing. I mean, don't we get an uneasy feeling when we see someone eating by themselves? It just doesn't look right. Especially Wagyu. Steak. Like, that's not something you want to eat by yourself. You want to enjoy it because really, really, the best meals are not about necessarily what we eat, but what is spoken. You notice that? We kind of did a little exercise in Alaska of like, hey, what are some meals that really meant something to you? And it wasn't so much what was there as much as who was there. As what was spoken. And this is why in the liturgy, in the work of the people of worship, we always preach and teach before supper. Which is the, that's the order it is in the Old Testament, in fact. Remember, you're supposed to love the Lord your God and then teach it to your children. Where? Around the table. Around the table. The table is a wonderful, sacred place that really should be important in our homes. Like, I get eating on the couch and stuff, but I think we need to recover the table. I think it's a very biblical idea to recover the table and just say, you know what? We're just going to do it. We're going to have our family time. Some of my best memories as a child was at the table. And it wasn't, again, what we were eating as much as the good times and the fellowship and the words that were spoken. That's why we do word 
and sacrament. That's exactly the way our worship service is formulated. Word and then sacrament, which is the table. Well, in our story, Jesus, they come looking for him and seeking him, and he redirects their question. You read it with me. They ask one thing, he answers another. Now, he's not doing that to be a good politician, but he's a good rabbi. Remember, that's what they even call him, isn't it? Rabbi. So they're allowing him to teach them. Are we allowing Jesus to teach us? Do we call him rabbi or do we already know? I want, to, I want him to be rabbi of my life. Listen, I, I've been learning more than I ever have before in my life, which is crazy because you feel like the further you get in with walking with God, the more you would know and you wouldn't have to be learning all the time. And that's just not true. And so Jesus redirects and says, listen, you're not seeking me for the right reason. You're seeking me for these signs, and they even ultimately demand a sign. What are you going to do for us? What, what trick are you going to play? What magic trick is it going to be this time? That 5,000 feeding, that, those 5,000 hungry men, that was pretty cool. What's next? You know, there's not ever going to be a sign big enough, a miracle great enough to make us believe in God. And that's what we want. We always act like, oh, if God, if you would just show up, if you would just do that, just paint it in the sky, man, I'm in. You wouldn't be there. It'd be on to the next one. That's how it happened to Israel. It's what happens here. They're on to the next one. All right, what's next? Keep it rolling. On to the next show, right? We finished that show. Let's go. No, Jesus calls them to believe in him. That doesn't mean just, oh, I believe you exist. Do you think that's the way they would have interpreted that? Of course not. He's standing right there. Believe in me. What does he mean? Trust me. What does he mean? Put your faith in me. What does he mean? Let me be Lord of your life. What does he mean? Put me in. <laughs> Some of us have a junk food diet spiritually. Some of us aren't putting anything in spiritually. We need his word, which is the bread of life. We need Christ himself, not just the symbol, the reality of Christ himself in us. But the way we get him in us, he says, and invites us to, is in the church, through this table, with this meal. And so when we peel it, all the way, peel it all back, it's like you would an onion. Why are we really following Christ? Why are you seeking after Jesus? Is it so he'll bless you? Is it so he'll show you something great and wonderful? Or is it for him? Do you actually love Jesus. He said, I'm a grown man, man. I don't know about loving. That's what we're called to be and do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
with all of your might or strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Are we here for the bread? Are we here for the signs? Are we here for Jesus? It's a good existential question to ask yourself. It's a real one that must be wrestled with. And here's what I want to say today is, it's not about just working it out in your head. It's about believing it so you do it. We must get around to walking with him, to obeying him. As Gerald said last week, quoting Jesus, if you love me, then keep my commandments. So what do you have to give to God today that you've been holding back? Just, ah, it's not that much. Go ahead and give it to him and watch him multiply it. Where could you break bread this week with others to show hospitality as Christ has shown to you? Is Jesus your rabbi and are you following him? It's one thing for him to be teacher. It's another thing for him to be Lord. So today, come to his table. He invites you. But don't come unless you're going to also invite others. Because this table is open. It is not your table. It is not my table. It's not for pushing people away and judging them. God does that. And he knows our heart. Every bit of it. Instead, we come, we eat, we talk, we love, we feast. So come, let us feast on the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.